All right, because three is a crowd. I'm here today once again with Kelly in the bunker, hiding away. This is a Bob Dylan podcast. Every okay, cool. week we listen to a new Bob Dylan song that we choose at random. We come down and we listen to it. We live with it. We think about it. We think about it in our own lives as part of this cult of death. What does it mean Why? to us as people of the world today? And then we come back together and we talk about said song. And that's what we're doing right now. I've been listening to Bob Dylan for most of my life. Kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs as a number of degrees apart from the Tropic of Cancer, from the Tropic of Capricorn. And today we are listening to Please, not Please, we are here today to listen to See That My Grave Is Kept Clean off of 1962's Bob Dylan. Kelly, so this week we listened to See That My Grave Is Kept Clean. I didn't dislike the song, which I know is kind of a silly thing to say, but Bob's voice is so weird. Yeah. Like, even for my favorite Bob and a guitar and a harmonica voice, it's just To go like, from up to me to this, it's kind of like, ooh. Yeah. It's a little much. I mean, it kept, for me, oscillating between this, like, earnest desperation mm. and just overwrought silliness, and I couldn't really pick which one it landed on, so... I didn't dislike it for what it was, but then I also was like, I don't know. And it does close out the record for what it's worth as it's well, a which weird is kind of weird. Yeah. yeah. So we'll get into that. Um, only a couple context points. Number one is that this was recorded on November 22nd, 1961. It was recorded in four takes. Uh, three were complete. One was uh, false take. BobDylan.com, for what it's worth, again, they're on it. Three. They, they have it being played three times. Once. On September 30th, 1961, so this is even before he recorded it, at Gertie's Folk City. On the 20th of September, 1962, at Mac and Eve McKenzie's house, which is part of a, a bootleg all of its own. And um, on the 15th of October, 1962, at the Gaslight Cafe. So we did listen to that Gaslight Cafe. Uh, we also listened to another recording, which was not live per se, but it was on a, the Minnesota Party Tape. So we're going to get into the three versions that we've heard later. But first, we're going to talk about the songs. So before we get to Bob, I think it's instructive for us to talk about where this song came from. So this song was first recorded, of course, by Blind Lemon Jefferson. All of this is on our playlist, by the way. At is really easy for you to remember. See that my playlist is kept clean. Do you so, get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? The joke is good right now, once in a lifetime. Which is why it was fun for me to get this song. And then it's never going to be great again. So you, you got to own it right now in this moment. So you can go onto our website and listen to all of these. I mean, just type in See That My Grave Is Kept Clean. There's hundreds. I mean, there's so many covers of this song. We try to take the ones that are the most obvious, but also the ones that kind of struck us the most. There's a lot of exceptions that we did not choose. Um, some of the biggest ones, Fish 
because no. <laughs> Grateful Dead, because no. We've already done the Grateful Dead. Lou, Lou Reed, we did listen to. Uh, it was on there for the longest time. Too long. Uh, Mike Bloomfield is another great one. He was the guitarist for Highway 61 Revisited, the albums. We've talked about Mike Bloomfield multiple times. He had a, he had a version I couldn't find. I would have loved to have him on our playlist. So those are some of the big exceptions in the Bob Dylan realm, at the very least, that are not on this. But I say we kind of get into it, Kelly. So as Paul Oliver said in The Meaning of the Blues in 1972, quote, after a life of hard toil, of sweat and tears, death comes as a welcome release for many of the poorest Negroes. For years, they may cherish the prospect of a splendid funeral in which every sign of affluence and expense is evident and in which a hearse is drawn by white horses standing in line and the coffin is lowered on a chain of gold. Ah, I'm so insightful. I said something very similar. This is from my own brain. Oh, wow. So you're basically Paul Oliver. So in 1972, maybe he died around 88. and so we're born into me. Born in time. Thinking about the song, it said, because of the covers, in relation yeah. to the covers. Maybe black folks of the time were, and even are still, more ready or accepting of death. Mavis, as we'll get into, Blind yeah. Lemon, B.B. King. Whereas Bob is terrified. Death is the only certainty. A reprieve from the true terror and torture of life. Yeah. Only one kind favor I ask of you. Only one kind favor I ask of you. Lord, it's one kind favor I ask of you. Please ask my friend, it's kept me. It's a long way, I know it. It's a long Quintessential, recorded in 1927, um, although Harry Smith notes in his liner notes for the anthology of American folk music of 1928 um, that it was released on, this, this song is old, incredibly old. And it sounds old, but it's so weird to be listening to this. I mean, almost 100 years removed on it, on these streaming services on the internet. Like, what a weird world, you know? Yeah. Like, what it took to record back then to put this thing onto tape to make it something that people knew about. And now we can just listen to it without ever the second thought. It's crazy. Uh, Blind Lemon Jefferson was born in the 1890s uh, in a town called Couchman. Couchman? Who knows? Texas. That has since been abandoned. He died in 1929 in Chicago, um, but he was blind from birth, um, and he started performing in his teens, moved to Dallas, and became friends with Lead Belly and T-Bone Walker. So he's got um, he's got the chops, and he's he's kind of one of those names, like the Robert Johnsons and Lead Belly, and you sort of just know the name, but he never put a voice to it, you know? But it's also way more laid back. That was the thing that struck me about this, about Money Waters, it's just exactly what you're saying. Like, you're not afraid of the death. It's almost like a preordained thing, and you're just sort of taking life as it is because... Yeah, that's the only reason I could think that, like, B.B. King's version and just why they would be more, like, upbeat. Uh, but this version, the original version of Blind Lemon Jefferson's, I there's really, like, a lot going on here in terms of the sound. Yeah. The sound of the guitar really piqued my interest because the electric guitar 
while it's contested, was invented sometime between 1920 and 1930. Um, but there's there's records of it being people musicians tinkering with it as early as 1910. Yeah. Blonde Jefferson, as you mentioned, dies in 1929. Right. I would bet you my life that the guitar he's playing is an electric guitar just because of the way it sounds. I immediately clocked it, especially the strumming pattern, because that guitar is like crystal clear, clearer than his voice. And there's no way that it could pick up. It should sound just as shitty as his voice does. And I don't mean like him singing it, but the quality of the recording itself. But it doesn't, and I was wondering if you clocked that at all. I mean, I heard it, but I don't know if that's just like 21st century finagling. It just versus the, the way it filled the room, it sounded like an amplified instrument because the way they're going to record is is live, like yeah, yeah. as most music until you know 30 years ago. That's the only option you had. It doesn't sound like an acoustic guitar would sound. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd be curious too. I doubt it though. I mean, I really do. It just sounds far fetched. It sounds like something. They wouldn't have access to, and the only and, it, and, and the people recording it, Harry Smith and Alan Lomax, walking around, they're not like feeding people guitars to like play songs. You know, it's like I'm stumbling upon you here at your house. Well, so the only Can picture of Blind Lemon Jefferson is the one that's on that album cover, yeah. um, and he's holding an acoustic guitar. Yeah, but the people that were first tinkering around with electric guitars actually kind of made their own pickups by using microphones yeah. in certain cool. ways. Maybe, um, who knows? Tungsten something pickups that, like, they yeah. did something with the metal to make the sound reverb. It was, I don't know. Really Damn. listen. You need to look more into that. That's, I tried, but I couldn't. Yeah. There's no real evidence of it. Yeah. Well, but, not just for him, but just in general. Like, yeah. That's such an interesting thing. I think so. So, dear listener. Maybe, yeah. You, let us know. Do you let think it was a electric guitar? I think it is. I think it's not. Let's fight it out. <laughs> So that that's obviously the quintessential. I mean, that's like the OG version, if you will. So, I mean, did he write it? I'm not actually 100% sure. I don't know. Probably. Maybe. I don't know. Doesn't matter. We listened to a couple of others. So let's go through them pretty quickly. Um, if you if we just go in the order of the playlist. Sure. We reached upon uh, Rachel Bauman. Bauman? Bauman? I mean, I would read it as Bauman. Bauman, Bauman, whatever. Uh, this is off of 2014 Speakeasy Man. It's absolutely fantastic. Um some of these versions get really boring, uh, i.e. Fish, i.e. Grateful Dead. This is so good. This is 2014. This is a modern feel. I love it. I love it. I love the interludes are really cool with a guitar. And I want to say a fiddle I, or a violin. I just said violin, but I don't, it might have been. But I found out. Makes me now think it's more of a fiddle. She was the Illinois State Fiddle Champion oh, yeah. at 17 years old. And then she went off to Nashville to be a star. I like this song oh, a lot. Yeah. I mean, I really like yeah, her. Her take is great. The like the bluegrassy feel. I thought it was really cool and kind of dramatic. So it's really interesting. And I did try to listen to her music. It it could be one of the situations where I had to be in the mood for it, and I just wasn't. Yeah, I but there's this really cool element where that doesn't happen often, especially not in modern pop adjacent rock adjacent music. There's a standing bass in this song, and they use a bow on it. Um, for not mm. the majority of it, but it hits and you feel like it made my hair stand up on it. It's like, Ooh, and I was like, that is somebody bowing a bass. That's and it right. sounds so good. And then the rest of it, they're they're plucking the standing bass and it just sounds, yeah. it's great. I mean, it's like the the best porch jamboree washboard band you can yeah. think of. Although there's no washboard. But it's really, it was a really fun take. Definitely get a washboard. Rachel, get a washboard. Rachel Diamond. <laughs> then it'll be good. Next one we listened to was Mavis Staples, uh, who was a Bob Dylan 
tour friend. Been oh, yeah. touring with Bob for the last, uh, you know, God, two or three years at this point. Um, she won a 2016 Grammy Award for Best American Roots Performance for this song. Damn. And it's haunting. It's really good. Um, I think the, the, my problem with this song is that it's incredibly formulaic. And what you do with it, um, either with your musicianship, which I think Rachel kind of nailed out of the park, or or Mavis, the best part about this is the vocals. And I love the like male choir who's behind her, you know, sort of the same take that Rachel did. Where mm-hmm. It's like the, the guy singing behind, which is really interesting and kind of off-putting and haunting. And I... And, and because it's Mavis and she's been around for so long and she's got this voice, it just, it really carried the day. Um, I really, really like that Dig in my grave with a silver spade Won't you dig my grave with a silver spade Dig my grave with a silver spade this was my favorite version on the really? playlist. Yeah, um, I'm a sucker for a lady with a deep voice, yeah, so that was great. definitely a point in her favor. And if Rachel Byman's version is modern. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. a real modern take. On it. I get. We I have get what a drum saying, track, yeah. and we have like a bass loop that's like also very meaty and good. I mean, um, more of like the recording quality and what you could bring into. Yeah, but you're yeah. right. I think maybe Staples is more of a modern American pop sound. Yeah, it almost has like a hip hop exact track. It which is kind of amazing. So cool. Yeah, it's fantastic. Really enjoyed it. Which is very cool for such an old song, and I think kind of the. The one that I think people are going to gravitate to the most and sort of push that on in the in the years to come because I don't think this song is by any means done. B.B. King recorded probably another version that's considered a classic. It's got that same Lemon Jefferson, like, chill vibe. Um, personally, not so into it. I got bored listening to it because yeah. it's just too long. It's definitely a little snoozy. But it makes sense for... Again, if we're kind of coming at it like the laconic, you know, death is in my face. I see death every day. Ugh, whatever. Brush it off. I'm just yeah. going to play my song. It, it works. That works. The philosophy of it. But the song itself does not really. Well, if the me. true version of this song is somebody and a guitar, I BB King probably, I don't know. I didn't look into this at all. So don't quote me. But having a bass and a guitar yeah. having other instruments is definitely a difference but yeah it was snoozy yeah Lightning Hopkins and Canned Heat changed the name of the title song or changed the title of the song to uh, One Kind of Favor I Ask You you're a Canned Heat aficionado I found out that they <laughs> did this and I was like I gotta do we gotta listen to this not only did they do this song but it's on the same album as Going Up the Country <laughs> no shit yeah so I've never listened to Can't Eat. I know that one fucking song, and just by circumstance, because my ex girlfriend of mine really liked the song. But every podcast it's mentioned. Can't eat. Every going to the podcast. country. I really like their version because it was funky. I do too. It was like crunchy, late sixties, early seventies guitar. Yeah. So it was funky. Well, that solo is so sixty nine. I mean, mm-hmm. that's when it was. It feels sixty nine. It feels great. It's like they're going to Woodstock. They're playing that shit. Well, it's, it's very Spirit in the Sky too. Which it is. Like, ah, give it me is. that. Yeah. Uh, not Spirit in the Sky, Lightning Hopkins. Yeah. Another 
laconic. Do it in a guitar. Same thing. Um, very slow. Very slow. Yeah. Just kind of kind of a theme as you're as you're seeing. Which but, like straight up blues. Straight up blues. Yeah. Straight up. And then we move on to Dave Van Rock. I originally took this off because I, I was like, we have too many. There's just too it. many. I love you for too Well, yeah, I just thought it was a little too too soft on Spotify. But, Stonewall fame. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But uh, Dave Van Rock's version is dope and is really uh, – a lot of people consider it as the successor to Blind Lemon Jefferson's version. I think version. that's fair. Yeah, unlike Dylan, you know, and we'll get to Dylan's in a moment. But um, unlike Dylan, and this was recorded – Naturally, because, of course, everything in this era is recorded before by Dave Van Rock and then overtaken by Bob Dylan. <laughs> uh, this was recorded a couple months before Dylan went in to record Didn't he do House of the Rising Sun? Yeah, that was, he saw everything. his version of it. Just yeah, everything. So, absolutely. So this was done before. Uh, this is great. I mean, it really is a great rendition of it. I noticed at the very end he had, like, a mistake or something. Did you catch that? Oh, I guess not. Where at the end it's like um, he says one – and then it's like it cuts out to silence. One small favor to ask of you, and it's just like it's a long road that has no end. It's a long road that has no end. It's a long road that has no end. It's a long trail that has no turn. Oh, well, it's one kind favor I'll ask of you. One kind favor I'll ask of you. One I'll ask of you. Yes, see that my grave is kept clean. He didn't oh, yeah, that. he did. Yeah, yeah, it's like a weird, I don't know if he, me- he probably messed up playing it. He might have. And then it's like, keep it. Yeah. I mean, because that's what you do. We're, we're, on a, we're on a time cut. We can't do another version of it. But, yeah, Dave Van Rock's version was great. I can't wait to dive into him more uh, in, the, in the years to come. And then the final one, sort of, see that my bike is kept clean. <laughs> 2005, Voyage to the Bottom of the Road by Half Man, Half Biscuit. That's right. Uh, a UK institution. Apparently. The, the band, uh, I, one, one reviewer said that next to The Clash. Like Damn. they're uh, they're as institutional to UK rock as the Clash. Damn, nuts! And I mean, it sounds great. It's really well done. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. They understand what they're doing, right? And and they did say that it's like kind of a parody band. It just sort of mocks all comers. Like it doesn't matter what type of music it is. I mean, they have like five thousand albums. I mean, they've been around forever. And they're still making music. I think they released an album just two or three years ago. So still around. Half Man, Half Biscuit. Apparently a thing. I really like that they um, took their pick and ran it up one of the strings. That noise at the very beginning. Which is really fun. I like when people do weird stuff. Or like if you play with the headstock or like. Yeah. If you're going to be a parody band, you need to play around with what you're doing. Oh, and during the like the bell tolls or whatever line they just had a boom yep. like a big on the guitar like a big chord which is great fun. thank you half man half biscuit thanks half we know man, nothing half about biscuits. you we may never ever think of you but again. i did clock them as british before i learned anything about them you did which was kind of amazing have you ever seen it roll out of time then i believe you know what i'm talking about 
right, Kelly, before we get to Bob Dylan's versions, you got interested in graves and burial practices. That's what you were you wanted to know. American burials. Which is basically all I focus on because modern burials are pretty similar as far as like the Western world's concerned. Yeah. I'm sure there are other places that did other putting things. Putting you in a coffin, putting you in the ground. Exactly. But I didn't look that up. So bodies are embalmed and they're put in a casket and put in the ground. And the average cost of a funeral is between ten and $12,000. And because of Six Feet Under and Living in the World, we know <laughs> the funeral industry, because of Six Feet Under, is that it can be predatory. I mean, obviously, Fisher & Sons. They were not. Sure. The other company that tried to take... Frederico. Yeah. Oh, they did. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Man, we need to watch that again. It's such a great show. That's such a great show. Oh, my God. I'm just saying, you only get one life. There's no God, no rules, no judgments, except for those you accept or create for yourself. And once it's over, it's over. Dreamless sleep forever and ever. So why not be happy while you're here? Really? Why not? The funeral home industry has been – there's been many class action lawsuits against them because they try to oversell caskets yeah. or services that aren't needed. They can be costly for a modern American burial as we think of it, right? Yes. Let me tell you some facts about how wasteful the modern American burial is. Oh, shit. 32 square feet of land is required per body, like per casket that's buried in the ground. That's a lot of space. So just space in general, that's a wasteful. Some of it is going down. Yeah, but that's what, like, by law or whatever thing, you have to be so far apart from yeah. the next grave. Which does make, I mean. It's a lot of space. Makes sense. Enough concrete is used in burial vaults yearly that you could pave a two-lane highway halfway across the country, mm. which is around, like, 1,600 miles. It's crazy. Enough metal is used for caskets that you could build the Golden Gate Bridge, and this is just annually. And enough wood. Wow. Sorry, enough metal from coffins. Caskets? I don't know what the difference is. You know the thing that you go in. If you get a metal one, that's a, a lot of metal. If you get a wooden one, you could use the wood from caskets made annually uh, to in a, in just a 10-acre cemetery to build 40 homes. And also in that 10-acre cemetery, there's enough toxin of the, the enough of the toxin formalin that you could fill a swimming pool. Formalin is the main component of formaldehyde. It's considered a hazardous waste by the EPA. And OSHA deems it a hazardous carcinogen that is linked to cancer. So it's a lot of this nasty shit that's being pumped into the ground because that casket's going to break down. Eventually it's going to seep into the earth and world around us. Gross. Funeral workers, unsurprisingly, specifically embalmers, are way more prone because of being around formalin formaldehyde, way more prone to higher levels of brain, colon, and prostate cancer. And also leukemia. Fun times. shit. A single embalming requires three pounds of formalin, this toxic chemical, and produces 120 gallons of untreated funeral waste. What's funeral waste, you might ask? Blood, fecal matter, organ fluid, and carcinogenic chemicals, as per mentioned before. Straight into the sewer, because they all just have those, like, little weird grates in the ground that go just into the sewer, like you would flush your toilet. With all that, 120 gallons of grossness per body. Plus, obviously, whatever diseases the yeah. corpse may have been carrying. I mean, we do. We're just filled with garbage. We're just farty meat sacks. I mean, we're just It's gross. gross. Humans yeah. are gross. It's true. But if you're like, okay, this is too much. It is too much for me. Let's not do that. We're not going to do the casket thing. We're not going to waste the money. We'll do the grossness. 
what it let's just get cremated. Oh, well, yeah. like seventy five percent of the UK as of twenty fifteen gets cremated. Eighty five percent of the Swiss cremated. Wow. And a whopping ninety nine point nine percent of the Japanese cremated. Wow. And about fifty percent of Americans. Yeah. I would think it would be an op a strong option. And if you think about landmass, yeah. it's really quickly like, oh, that makes sense. You don't have space in the UK to be burying these people oh, for hundreds yeah. and hundreds and hundreds America, of years. America, pl- you got plenty of room. I mean, we do all live in cities, and <laughs> even some of those are, are taken up. I went to Deadwood in uh, South Dakota, and they sold those burial plots on the land because you're buried with famous, famous people, you know, famous Westerners. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Um, they've sold those plots since the days of – you know, the early 18, you know, 1870s. Right. They've already sold those out to their family, their grandkids, three times removed. Jesus so there are people Christ. living in Deadwood or around that are going to die and be buried there, but there's no more room. Yeah, it's funny to think there's so much land in America, but not every place could be a fucking graveyard. This sure. is Sunnydale. Hey there. Buffy. Sander. And Anya. How is your money? Fine. Thank you for asking. Isn't it a beautiful night for killing evil things? The average cost of a cremation, much cheaper, $1,400, which still seems high to me personally, but anyway, $1,400 versus over $10,000 for a regular burial. There's no, they don't take up any space yeah. uh, and no formaldehyde because they don't need to involve the body to preserve it because you're just setting it on fire. Yeah. They use gas and electricity to heat the bodies to about 1,800 degrees for two hours. So that does use natural resources. So there's still a little bit of drawback to it, obviously. And it does produce pollutants straight what's, into the air. What's the other option, though? I mean, literally just keeping dead bodies out. You know, you either have to bury it or you got to burn it. We've got a couple more. We have okay. a couple more okay. Promesian. This is not available for humans yet but it's an interesting concept which means to me i guess they've tested on animals dead animals i'm hoping they died of natural causes after they lived a full and healthy life your the corpse is frozen in liquid nitrogen and then vibrated apart oh yeah like a la mighty ducks three where they freeze the jerseys and they hit it apart with the the little hockey stick Mm -hmm. rad it only takes a couple minutes so versus two hours of cremation the particles are then removed and uh, they take out the heavy metals that might be in the, like, so if you had fillings or if you had, like, surgery, stuff like that. Yeah. And then it's freeze-dried, and it leaves a dust kind of like cremains, like cremation yeah. leftovers. Um, that's not a bad idea. There's a machine that I saw. It, it looks like a big operation that you would have to have. It's not, you can't just have a cremation oven in your house. Like, you could do that. That seems really easy. But this thing, yeah. this cremation thing, it's not gonna, you're not going to just have that. Right. But it sounds like a dope, pretty, I mean. Like, where does the rest of the stuff go? It just it just becomes part of the cremation. Yeah, your little dust, your little particle dust. I know, man. I know. Pretty cool. Uh, It's wild. Yeah, I've never heard of it. But not not approved for humans yet. Which is so funny. It's like, why do you have to approve a thing for a corpse? Like, what are are the stakes? I I don't understand. It's true. (laughs) But that doesn't float your boat. What about? Yeah, because what would be the the drawback? It's like a violent corpse. Not it doesn't work the way described. That corpse has been vibrated into a million billion pieces, or that it didn't get vibrated. You know, it like yeah. slowly, like its arm falls off. It's not vibrating enough. Well, because of the predatory funeral industry, we've all heard of stories of cremains that don't actually belong to the uh, person that they say they belong to. They don't uh, fire it long enough where there's big chips and you can see bones and like yeah. teeth and stuff. So, oh, 
I imagine you could fuck up this Mighty Duck situation too. You totally could. Ever see what liquid nitrogen does to your clothes? Ducks. The ducks are dead. What about alkaline hydrolysis? What about it? Your body's put into a chamber filled with water and lye, pressurized, heated to 350 degrees, and then everything but the skeleton is kind of liquefied. Ooh, breaking, breaking bad. bad. Yeah, <laughs> but even then, the skeleton would be liquefied. So now the Ooh. skeleton is left. It takes about 12 hours. That's wild that the skeleton would... Why? Why does I the bone get left? No. Man, science is fucking rad. What do you do with the bones? That's uh, my big question. Yeah. I'll probably bury it. My bigger question is, what do you do with the goo? Right? Yeah, if we talk about all know, that funeral left, we're like, where's that gallons of lye and body where's that going into sparkling water Mm, but it only has about a tenth the carbon footprint as cremation does remember we're using a lot of electricity a lot of gas natural gases to to fire that body for so long and zero percent of the toxic emissions because it's not going anywhere it's just in that tube unless you pour it i don't know where that goo is going yeah 100 percent, it's going into the ocean but what seems to be the best option is a natural burial Unemballed bodies are just buried in biodegradable containers or nothing at all, like a sheet. That's Again, how I want to go. Yeah. Put then, me in a sheet, throw me under a tree. Yeah, man. Under a beautiful sunset and have my significant other crying, preferably on the run. <laughs> because Possibly can- dead, too. I mean, it. who knows? Uh, yeah, it'd be, that'd be fine. If we were ghosts, that would be even cooler. That's how I want to go. I want to be natural bar- naturally buried, <laughs> buried as a condition. Ghost. I'm a guest. Yes. Sounds good. So your body just naturally decomposes a la Q circle of life. Yeah, which is the best. And it actually is beneficial to the, the earth because decomposition. If you were buried in a wooden casket, wouldn't eventually that happen? Isn't the idea that like it like gives you a peace of mind that they're okay for like – a month or two, and then the worms are going to come and eat your body. Like, wh- is it only just a peace of mind? Like, they're not going to be in there. I mean, their bones, I guess, will be in there. But my bones will be in there if I get thrown into a pit. My bones will be there. Like, they'll eat everything off my bones. But if I'm in a wooden casket, they get in anyway, right? Yeah. So I know that there's, like, metal part of the caskets reason, that Well, that's why the funeral industry is so fucked up. Yeah. Because they actually have self-sealing caskets, supposedly. Up. But all they do is liquefy the body faster and make it even more disgusting. Mm-hmm. The reason why the natural burial is the way to go, of which there's, like, actual natural burial cemeteries that have, like, quite a few sprung up around the country. I think there should be more. It sucks that you can't even just put it in a normal cemetery. But anyway, uh, that's really essential to Earth. Like, that's... That's what things are supposed to happen. Bodies are supposed to decompose. They break down to essential, like, nutrients and elements that feed the soil. Like, yeah. literally. Circle of life. Real thing. Yeah. Your body will be consumed by maggots. Deal with it. Yeah. And you pumping that body full of nasty-ass chemicals that will hurt living people in the long run doesn't do anything. No. For the person who is already Natural deaths, dead. homies. Natural deaths. That's or get. get vibrated into non-existence. Yeah. One of the two. <laughs> Well, Kelly, that was incredibly thorough. Yeah. I feel like I know so much more about how I want to go out in this world. Natural barrier. Which is as a ghost. (laughs) All right, Kelly, let's close out this episode with what we came here to listen to, which was Bob freaking Dylan. This is episode 47, Kelly. We've heard 47 songs. Did you the amount of degrees of separation between something of Capricorn and something of other? The Tropic. Topic. Okay, cool. yes. And cancer. I did not know that. Kelly, let's talk about the songs. Let's, let's okay. Yeah. 
So like I said before, the version that Bob Dylan sings is the one that's sort of remembered because of course it is because that's what Bob does. He takes over and the song becomes only his. his and no one else's. And so I found that really interesting going through and listening to this. I like his guitar work. I think it's like a lot of stuff Bob does, especially at this era, is really interesting. It's also really fast. And I think I brought that up too when we were talking earlier. The laid backness is contrasted directly to Bob Dylan, who is bringing that vengeful, that anger, that desperation, urgency, that urgency to it that is just contrasted by who is singing the song and the age range, I think. You know, Lightning Hopkins, Blind Lemon, he didn't live that long, you know, but he, you listen to that and you would guess that guy is. 50 years old i mean just the but again that's a life circumstance that's that's what's coming out of this person's soul whereas bob dylan at this point there's a lot there to work with there's a lot of angst and there's a lot of raw talent this is not a song that i listen to it's not a song that i'll probably come back to and listen to again bob dylan is not a record that i go back to except for song to woody and this is the reason why he doesn't have that life experience it doesn't i'm not sold it does read as false. That's why I was like, it was tough to figure out if it was sincere or not. Because he is, he's practically screaming and his voice is quavering. And there's even a moment towards the end where he like, <laughs> a little bit like, yeah. is he laughing? What What is happening? I don't hate it. And him just having that vocal quality, it's impressive, honestly. It's impressive, I know. Him being able to do that and get there is cool. But I, I mean, just the lyrical content and the history of the song, I really makes it seem and we just know yeah we just know bob dylan and and the only reason that this is something that we even go back and appraise this can't be said enough is that bob dylan is bob dylan this is a forgettable record in general this is not well done this is not great this is not really standing above even what dave van ronk did but if it wasn't for freewheeling the next year in his own material Nobody would listen to this album. It would be as forgotten as Dave Van Ronk is, unfortunately, to the wider public. People don't know who that is, whereas Bob Dylan is somebody who, you know, nobody's forgotten about. Even if they don't know, they've heard the name. They know Mm -hmm. who Bob Dylan is. I will say, yes, quickly, that I do really enjoy the opening, that that's really cool. And I wish he kind of would have kept that up through the song and make it a little more interesting. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, I think all of the stuff that he does, and even, let's talk about the other two, and I think they kind of go together. The Gaslight in uh, 62, so this was after. Seen that hearse wagon roll out of town Have you ever seen it roll out of town Then I believe you know what I'm talking about And then we have the Minnesota Party Tape from 61. So that's just him playing around with some friends. Tony Glover is the one that's recording it, and he's hanging out with Bonnie Beecher, and he's just back from New York. So he just came from New York. He went back. So this is pre-Columbia. He's not even – I think he just got signed on a record label, so he's about to go back. So he's basically auditioning. This is the same tape that we hear him doing his uh, Long John where he's doing the – crazy harmonica yeah so this is just him sort of putting the harmonica off and just kind of playing a couple of songs and this of course of course is like a traditional blues song i mean this is one of the most famous blues songs there is you know and so people had definitely heard it before and bob's renditions are okay he did what you know 
his probably the people he was listening to, including Blind Lemon Jefferson, were doing, which is slowing the song down. He slowed it down so hard. I mean, it's such a different song. Yeah. Um, I like them better. I like them better slow. I think that they're better songs. I think those two versions are much better. You can dig my grave with a bloody speed. You can dig my grave with a bloody speed. You can dig my grave with a bloody speed. You can see that my digger gets well paid. And he also does that. He takes the lyrics too. Um, the whole "you can dig my grave with a bloody spade." Yep, that's an amazing line. He also uses that long, long road verse. You know, sort of looking off into darkness and death. I thought that was effective. Like when you when you do that. Um, I also liked uh, in the gaslight tape. He said, "Have you ever seen that hearse wagon roll out of town?" Yeah, did, I couldn't or horse tell wagon. You said horse or hearse. Okay, I couldn't tell either. either. It sounded like yeah. horse, and then it sounded like hearse. And I was like, "Ooh." Oh, speaking of in the studio version, horse. Yeah, horse. bad. bad. Um, yeah, and then I believe. Then I believe you know what I'm talking about. Like that was a unique verse. I mean, that was out of nowhere. I, that was not on anyone that I had heard. And I like those versions. I wish that there was more harmonica. That is something definitely lacking. There's no harmonica. There's no harmonica, <laughs> period, which I think is going to be – some songs you forget that there's no harmonica and it pays off. Um, but this one I think is really impacted by no harmonica. If there was, yeah. it would probably be a better well, song. I think that the Gaslight Tapes one, it's like really subdued. The guitar is not as interesting at all and it really feels long. Like his stretched out vocals – really made this song feel super long. And the, the Minnesota tape ones I thought was it was fun because the guitar's more consistent and so yeah, is his voice. Yeah. Like it's He also stomped. Like Sounds more he, confident. Yeah, when he said the two white horses, like he did the thing that he did with Long John, which is he he used other parts of his body. Oh yeah, I thought he, it was like a door slamming or something. Well well he also used but he used his foot. Mm. You know, when he's like the two white the two horses oh, yeah. walking through and he like did it like a hoof thing. Gotcha. It sounded like horses hooves and I was like, nice Waited for the next verse, and I was like, okay, you're still obviously just kind of tapping your feet, but you're not emphasizing it the way you did Mm -hmm. with the horses. I was like, all right, man, you're at least, like, thinking about this out the box, yeah. And so I thought that was interesting because, again, we're about a year different. So this album had already, you know, was being recorded and was already out by the time he was playing Gaslight. So this was sort of on the way out of his repertoire, whereas him at the Minnesota Party Tape, he was still perfecting it, if you will. And then when he went into the studio, he just went like balls to the wall. You know, there's three versions of that. I, I didn't, I don't have them. So I don't know if uh, if the other two completed versions are slower. like this or slower. Who, who can tell? If anybody knows where I can find them, let me know. Anyways, we also existed throughout this entire week and listened to other songs, other movies, watched TV shows, did all kinds of stuff. We lived our lives in 2018. How was your week outside of Bob Dylan? Well, you reminded me that Cranberry from Howdy came out. I listened to that, and it was a little sloggy. Um, I might not have just been into it, but it wasn't more of the same, and I don't know if that's better or worse. So People seem to really like it. It's okay. Like I said, I wasn't in the mood for it. When I found Howdy, it was like, I want to listen to Shoegazy, very slow music. 
And this week I guess, guess I wasn't really into it. And I didn't really listen to I listened to a lot of Sir Kinney, but Spoiler alert. Uh <laughs> I watched finally the fourth season of Broad City, which okay. was good but not great. There was definitely highs and lows. Uh, Sounds like life. Yeah. Good but not great. Good but not great. There's a couple of missteps. But still fun overall. They, uh, unfortunately, are a little too big for the bridges now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of weird celebrity guest appearances. Like, RuPaul is kind of a, a what's the recurring character? Yeah. Which was weird. Yeah. But, yeah, there's definitely some really, really good ones, too. Florida, uh, the season finale is great. And even the uh, the season premiere is great, too. Okay. So. Broad City. Broad City. Ripping it. Just ended fourth season, or no? I think it ended like four months ago. Okay, so maybe um, season five is coming back. Who knows? It Soon. won't be for later, but yeah, I mean, Broad City has a show in general. Oh my god, if you haven't watched yeah. it, okay, gold, sweet, sweet. I listened to a couple of albums. You also maybe have listened to a couple. The first one I'll recommend, Outright with No Conditions, Brian Fallon, Sleepwalkers. So can I pick you up later? If you need a little shelter, keep it all quiet, yeah. Let the night wind you down, baby, down. And she smiles, how about that? I was just about to jump before you called me back. And you know the pain comes home. And the whispers come to call me in my bed when I'm alone. And I've lost so much more than Oh, it's so good. I didn't like it. You didn't like it. How do you not? I don't even understand. <laughs> Exceptional songwriting, hooks for days, miles and miles and miles of hooks. That's all I could think. Um, he's sitting on that fine line between like emo and power pop and like Bruce Springsteen. And all I could think the whole time, and then probably just because I'm such a huge Gaslight Anthem fan, is like, what is the sort of the weird tension in Gaslight that can't? produce this because i think that there's like a punk element to gaslight that doesn't allow this to shine but when it overlaps it overlaps into the 59 sound and american slang which are two like really really classic perfect records but then when they start embracing the pop sensibility it it's not great at all but brian fallon released painkillers in 2016 sleepwalkers in 2018 and they are just i'm sorry kelly they're fucking great. They're incredible. <laughs> also, there's a lot of fun little tiny things. Uh, the song Come Wander With Me has a Clash reference. says that my daddy was a bank robber, oh, yeah. which is awesome. Daddy was uh, Exactly. And he's uh, written songs about Joe Strummer. And I think we've talked about this on this podcast yeah. before. Her Majesty's Service is another song that has a chorus that sings, that references like a Rolling Stone. But uh, the chorus goes, you know, don't you understand that I know? Uh, what it's like to be a rolling stone haunted with heartbreak ghosts. And you've got Elsie singing How Does It Feel, which is, of course, the chorus from Like a Rolling Stone. Elsie is a reference to a band that Brian Fallon was in with his friend called The Horrible Crows. Their record was called Elsie. And it's not for nothing that Celebration Rock with Stephen Hyden came back this week with two excellent episodes. The first one was like the first couple of records, and uh, the second one was Born to Run. They both came out just this week the early albums by bruce springsteen his guest was brian fallon 
and it's no mistaking that his second guess with Born to Run was Jeff Rosenstock. <laughs> so the connection, if you can't see, these are the two best albums of 2018. <laughs> I wonder fucking why. Gaslight's coming back this summer to play only big stadium or big uh, festival shows, but they're playing the 59 sound in totality. It's been 10 years since that album came out. If you've never listened to that, I recommend it. It is an f- amazing record. We also released Black Panther. The, oh, yeah. The album. Listen the to that. playlist. The, it's good. Yeah. A little trappy, but. Uh, MGMT came back with a new album after five oh, years. Little Dark wow. Age. Uh, it's kind of great. We are a real podcast that try to bring you these feelings every week. We have a website. We do. Where you can feel better about life. I hope so. It's at SOTWpod.com. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter. That's those names slash SOTWpod. <laughs> if you Google SOTWpod, we have no relation to witches. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. We are also on Patreon. We are. Patreon.com slash SOTWpod. You can search that on the window Patreon. In your Google, it'll work. It'll come up for sure. <laughs> Anyways, we, we put all of our episodes there. You can, like, if you're already subscribing to a bunch of other places, you can catch all of our stuff there. We post photos. We post all kinds of little things. We have lots of fun. It's really great. Um, you also get a special episode if you donate money. And uh, and you're going to get a little special treat from us every single week as we uh, talk about our playlist and do all that kind of jazz as well. So we are people of the world and we want you to be a part of our world and make everything better for everyone that's what we're all about yeah that's nice that is nice all right kelly you ready to pick next week's episode am i ever this song just made me want to listen to seven curses (sighs) right like really bad (laughs) (laughs) did you uh you really could have there is no rule against it did also make me add a couple things to my once upon a time in the west playlist what did you add i think i might have added this song this song but not by Bob Dylan. Oh, yeah. Funnily enough, the uh, Mavis Staples one, I think, which is skirting the line. It is skirting it, the line. But it fits, I feel It like. feels good. Yeah. We're, you're imagining she's like in the juke bar at Seven Curses Multi-Extended Universe, you know? <laughs> Seven Curses Extended Universe. Yeah. Absolutely. She would totally be. My playlists are curating a very specific feeling I have. We've heard you're very specific. So <laughs> if you're not tuned into that. You, you might with, miss it. Yeah, get in, get with the times. All My right, choices Kelly. are inexcusable for not tuning into that. That's true, Kelly. We're down to four hundred and eighty-four songs. That's right, one out of four eighty-four. What you got? Two sixty-three. Two sixty-three. It's actually three oh nine. That was close. That's close for me. All right, Kelly. Two hundred and sixty-three could have been a song off of Tempest, his latest record from two thousand twelve, called Scarlet Town. Ooh. Scarlet. Scarlet. I don't know what that means to you. Rivera, right? Oh, hey, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. You did not get desire. Okay, next week, a song off of O Mercy called What Good Am I? Do you, do you, are you happy about that? I can't tell you. Fingers. No, it's it's fine. Um, actually, it's, I mean, it's a clunker from O Mercy. Not great. <laughs> but, but it, you know, it's fine. All right, so next week, we were going to be doing What Good Am I? From 1989's Oh Mercy. And this is episode 48. Kelly, we're closing in on 50. This is crazy. That's fun. That That's is fun. fun. All right, Kelly. I will see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.
Let it spill out.